0: How's it, everybody? Hope you're all staying safe out there. In this episode, MLB considering a biosphere like option for returning to action. Rocket Rotto gets mad love from the Big West in men's volleyball. And Rex Ryan calls Tua the biggest gamble in NFL draft history. We continue to dedicate these episodes to the individuals on the front line of this pandemic. We're with you. All right, let's do this. Jordan, how's things going, man? It's not bad.
1: It's not bad. Uh, Trying to get through this quarantine routine that we've become used to, wearing wearing the mask out now in public uh, as is recommended, getting used to that a little bit. But again, really no complaints uh, on our end, which is a nice thing.
0: Yeah, the only complaint I have is, you know, when I do or have left the house uh, just a couple of times, obviously, for very essential purposes, I have been donning the mask. Uh, All I smell is my coffee breath underneath that mask. And that is just an awful experience. You talk about coming to the realization of what quarantine life is. Yeah, that's uh, that's unpleasant. I will say (laughs) it's also been a nice
1: reminder to me that I should probably get in better shape because the whole breathing with a little lack of oxygen, not great, not great for me. So I I, I probably got to step it up a little bit and do my part on that end.
0: Yeah, fair enough. All right. If anybody has any uh, questions, comments, uh, any topics you want us to discuss here on the show, you can hit us up on Twitter. I am at Kanoa Leahy. Jordan is at Jordan Helley. We did get some feedback from our last episode. A lot of people referring to us as Debbie Downers. We were talking about that Washington Post story uh, as to whether or not we're going to be able to see sports here in the 2020 calendar year. There are other leagues who are trying to think outside of the box and who are trying to establish some, in some cases, extreme levels of strategy Uh, But that said, a lot of people saying, man, it sounded like we weren't going to have sports the rest of the year. And that is pretty depressing. And we are depressed at the idea of that as well. And I think we said a couple of times in the episode, we hope that's not the case. Uh, Very much like Mike Greenberg and Scott Van Pelt on ESPN. They're saying, hey, we hope that sports will continue here in the near future. Uh, But there has to be at least some discussion as to what the ramifications of that may be. It's one of those, you know, prepare for the worst, hope for the best type of situations, Jordan. It really is. And I'm not going to lie. I, I
1: was a little down as well while we were recording last week's uh, podcast to to get it out just because I I like I think a lot of our listeners don't feel great that sports could be a long ways off. I, I I'm excited that leagues are exploring creative ways to get back and, and get back into action. We all could use a little bit of that uplift, but I don't think it's a, a bad thing for us to be pretty pragmatic about it, be pretty realistic about it. Uh, I think taking things with the appropriate amount of seriousness when you're talking about the pandemic. And I am looking forward to the lighter sides of the podcast. I do enjoy that as well. And, um, you know, we don't want to scare
0: away the listeners too early in the, the, life, the life of this podcast. Hey, trust us. This is a sports podcast. We are hoping that sports will continue here soon. That would be counterintuitive if we weren't. All right, let's hit the headlines. And unfortunately, a not so positive story to start with. uh, As this week, we found out that uh, we have lost one of the great legends in Hawaii baseball, John Matias passing away at the age of 75 after a long illness. This is a guy who went on to play professionally in the major leagues, played for the Hawaii Islanders, was part of that fantastic era of baseball in Hawaii, and also played professionally in Mexico and then went into coaching, longtime coach at the prep level at Damien and Pearl City. One of his claims to fame, I think what was one of the sort of first initial stories behind his legend, uh, was he hit four home runs in a state tournament game for Farrington back in 1962 Uh, That Matias family name synonymous with the game, his son, John, a slugging standout for the University of Hawaii under head coach Les Murakami. Uh, And so it gives us an opportunity to celebrate what John Matias and that entire Ohana has meant to this place and to the game of baseball here. Uh, But certainly sad anytime uh, you lose a, a person you can describe certainly as a living legend. Absolutely. Uh, a pioneer of baseball in the islands. The fact that he
1: he played in the major leagues, not only just that, but the fact that he came back and gave back so much to up-and-coming players, gave back to baseball in Hawaii. I, I love that part of the John Matias legend, if you will. Such a, such a gentleman. Nobody ever had a bad thing to say about him. And, and yeah, it's, it's sad that he is gone, but it, it's also a, a really nice opportunity to to celebrate the life of John Matias, the the legend that was the four-home run game back at old Honolulu Stadium and, and his professional career and kind of took him all over North America, as you mentioned, playing a little bit south of the border as well. Uh, you know, he, it, it got me thinking. It's some of the fun stuff, right? It's kind of funny. We, we, it, his name came up just about a year ago uh, when Nigel Calderon, the, the young man who's now over at the University of Hawaii, hit four home runs last year for Lanai in a high school game to tie John Matias' state record, which I don't know if anybody had ever fathomed that state record being tied. Uh, but, of course, John did it in a state tournament game. Just absolutely ridiculous. Um, but then you think about the younger Matias, right, and, and the slugger that he was at the University of Hawaii. So it got me thinking, if we were to set up, and this is the, the age of hypothetical sports discussions, right, because of the hiatus right now, if we set up a, a home run derby between father son combos, and I know you've got the fielders out there. I know you got Prince and Cecil, the only guys that hit 50 each, in a in a season is father son duels. You got the Bonds, heck, whoever, the Boons. Uh, give me the Matias's, just an awe factor. I want to see how far those two could hit it. And, and heck, we could put it at old Honolulu Stadium. We could put it at old Aloha Stadium. I, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Give me the Matias's in a father son home run derby. I love that.
0: That is a hot take right there. Jordan Helley's like, the Griffies. it doesn't matter. The Bonds family, it doesn't matter. Those guys could bang, that's for sure. Uh, no doubt about it. And when you think about the name, Matias, and we mentioned it's synonymous with the game of baseball, there are a few families out there, right, here in the islands, links to their respective sports. If you're talking about the Lees when it comes to prep football, uh, the Nongas when it comes to prep and college football, The Matias family is right there as it pertains to baseball, Uh, and I think that that's really cool. And that is one of the silver linings out of this sad news: uh, is you get a chance to kind of remember uh, just how important that family is, how how important those individuals uh, are uh, to our sports history, Uh, and that's really cool. The guy I work with on uh, telecasts for University of Hawaii baseball and Spectrum Sports, Pal Eldridge, he is a guy who says he might be one of the few, if not the only, who played against, played with and coached against John Matias throughout his lifetime. And uh, it hit him particularly hard. That, to me, is a sign of just how important uh, and how meaningful this guy was uh, to so many people, especially a, a guy as passionate about the game of baseball uh, as Pal Eldridge. Without a
1: doubt, if anybody's going to be able to, to really do it justice, it's going to be Pal, who we know has a way with words and and is as good a storyteller as we've got uh, in Hawaii sports. So. I look forward to that, and and plus the Eldridge name, uh, I think, qualifies uh, up there on the Pantheon.
0: (laughs) That's another one. That's right. Uh, (laughs) All right, well, into some more, I guess, positive news as it pertains to the University of Hawaii men's volleyball team. The Big West Conference released their postseason awards, and this is kind of interesting because they didn't even get into Big West Conference play. Hawaii was on the road to play CSUN to open league play when the season was shut down because of the pandemic. But among these all-conference award announcements, Rado Parapunov, opposite hitter, For Hawaii, the Bulgarian basher, Rocket Rado. However you want to refer to him, he was named the conference player of the year. You had Pat Gassman, Gage Worsley, and Colton Cowell of Maui named to the first team uh, and a slew of players who were also named to the all-freshman team. First off, though, let's focus on Rado. He was a senior. There is at least a chance that this was the last time we saw him suit up in a Hawaii uniform. Where do you put Rado among the greats of warrior volleyball lore?
1: Yeah, for, for Rado, right? I think this is just another feather in the cap. It, it's a little bit more to add on to the resume. And who knows, maybe that resume is incomplete, uh, depending on what his decision is for the spring of 2021. But but he's a guy who, and I think this award is a testament to the growth of Rado Parapunov. And this guy who came in is this unmolded, A piece of clay from Bulgaria with all the talent in the world. Cannon for a left arm on that swing. Just so much potential. You saw it early on. But it took a little while to adjust, right? He was a little erratic. It took him a little while maybe to just get accustomed to collegiate play coming over from Europe. Get him accustomed to to being in the States. And everything that comes with that. Learning the new language. And everything that comes along. And slowly and steadily he developed into a more consistent player, a more dangerous player, an even more exciting player uh, to watch for for some of those sellout crowds at the Stan Sheriff Center, and a guy over the last two seasons that's been as good as anybody in the country. And this year, he took it even to another level. And for the University of Hawaii men's volleyball team, if he had been allowed to continue on the trajectory he was and the team was allowed to continue on that path as well for the remainder of this season, that kind of leads into the, the whole – conversation of heck, what's the point of putting out these conference honors when three of the six teams, half of the league didn't even play a single conference game in the Big West. I I, I get what they're doing and I, I really don't mind it at all. I, I kind of like it. And you can put a little bit of a, a, a notation in the record books that says, hey, this season was abbreviated because of COVID-19. Maybe not an asterisk that seems to have a negative connotation, but just a little pound sign or hashtag or something like that to say "Hey, the season was cut a little short. But the league decided to still give out some honors and some well-deserved honors.
0: Yeah, I think it's weird sometimes when people in sports, uh, sometimes we get caught up in it too, right? The whole sports punditry out there that uh, basically takes offense when something doesn't go according to the rules, right? According to the usual structure. And so uh, I actually did see some people raise a few eyebrows on social media about why the Big West Conference was putting these awards out there in a year that was shortened. And to me, you know, it's not hurting anybody. Right. I mean, it's it's a way to still celebrate even the abbreviated season that was and celebrate some of these incredible talents that may or may not be back for another crack at it next spring. Uh, and if this is the last that we have seen of Rado Parapunov in a Hawaii uniform, uh, then I think it's a fitting tribute because he is going to go down as one of the more uh, profoundly dominant offensive weapons that this program has ever seen. Uh, I would say that he is maybe the most dominant left-handed hitter in Hawaii history outside of Yuval Kotz. And I think the other part of his legacy, as you alluded to it, is it is incomplete. We don't know what the ceiling could have been. It was a career-high 30 kills against BYU his last time out. He was having his best statistical season this year. And so, yeah, he's, he's going down as one of the best. We didn't really get a chance to see if he could t- take that to, say, a national championship stage and really make history if we had the opportunity to see it play out. All right, well, in a couple of years, we'll be able to see the Maui Jim Maui Invitational play out with another field that I think we're both in agreement is very well-rounded. Uh, Oregon, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, among the headliners for the 2021 Maui Jim Maui Invitational played at Lahaina Civic Center, uh, also including Butler, Texas A&M, Houston, St. Mary's, And in that year, part of the rotational year, Chaminade. The Badgers, by the way, of Wisconsin have made 20 of the last 21 NCAA tournaments with three Final Fours. The Ducks have made six of seven with four Sweet 16 appearances in a Final Four. This may not be a field that includes the Blue Bloods, like 2020, by the way, which is scheduled to have, among others, Indiana and North Carolina Uh, This is a bit of a different kind of field, uh, but one that if you're a college basketball fan, uh, I think you know you're in for potentially a really competitive tournament.
1: Can't wait. This is going to be another great field. The depth of the field jumps out at you. and, And yeah, we're spoiled. We're spoiled here on Maui, where we come to expect the likes of North Carolina and Duke and Kansas, as was the case this past fall, and Indiana and UCLA to just roll through every single year. Uh, and and grab headlines. But when you're looking at a field that has, yes, Wisconsin, who has come down here regularly, whether it's been with Greg Gard or Bo Ryan before them, Oregon's come down every chance through their rotation here with Dana Altman, Notre Dame. We know they, they last time they were here, they, they won the tournament. And so you're talking about programs that are perennially in the top 25, Oregon with the recruiting classes that Dana Altman keeps bringing in. Then you throw in AM. Then you throw in Houston, who has been terrific. In the AAC, Butler, who I kind of liken to Dayton, who came down this past year in 2019 and finishes runners up. These mid-majors who have catapulted into prime time. We know Butler, what they have done through multiple head coaches since Brad Stevens led that team to to -to back-to-back NCAA uh, tournament title games. Butler's going to bring a ton of fans down, just like Dayton did. St. Mary's is another excellent mid-major. worst fold with the West Coast Conference rotation that keeps coming down. Whether it's BYU or Gonzaga and now St. Mary's getting in this mix as well. The depth of this field is as good as you can ever hope for. I think one through seven. And then I love the, the, the odd number years now where we're, we're getting Chaminade back in the mix. That Cinderella nature, this field with the depth, I think just jumps out right at you as you get a look at the, the seven teams that are coming down.
0: Yeah, you touched on it, right? It's just not quite the same. At least from a Hawaii basketball fan standpoint, likely because of the tradition, the history behind the origin story of this tournament. It includes Shamanad. It is directly because of Shamanad that we have the Maui Invitational. And so it just feels a little bit more complete when Shamanad is part of the field. Are you feeling me on that one? Are we being obviously biased here? <laughs> oh, I, absolutely, but I am I'm, I'm with you. The the, the
1: key part to that is this tournament doesn't exist in all actuality unless Chaminade upsets Virginia a few years prior to the the advent of this tournament. And, and the, the origin story involves the Silver Swords. And so, yeah,
0: I I, I think it's spot on. All right. Well, the NFL draft is right around the corner, and obviously we're watching closely here to tonga the former St. Louis Crusader, uh, coming back from his hip injury. And while all of the reports are that he is making a fantastic recovery, some of the video that we're seeing make the rounds on social and mainstream media outlets show that he is apparently executing his drills To a T, And so it looks like he is on the comeback trail, but because of the situation, there is some uncertainty. And so Rex Ryan, who tends to stir up some controversy when he gives his hot takes as an ESPN analyst, he called Tua the biggest gamble in the history of the NFL draft. A lot of hyperbole there. What is your reaction to that, Jordan?
1: Well, Rex Ryan has been the hot take machine here (laughs) over the last week, right? And including some of the comments earlier about Amari Cooper and his contract, and use some choice words to describe Amari Cooper that uh, I thought were a little over the line, and and now he's calling to the biggest gamble in in the history of the draft. The draft has gone back quite a ways, and and teams have have come up to draft quarterbacks. Teams have come up to draft guys with injury histories. Teams have come up to draft guys who were going to sit out a year because of injuries, um, and and so I I think. Yes, the risk is increased a little bit. The gamble is increased a little bit just because teams aren't able to get the access that they usually do when it comes to the medical with these draft prospects leading up to the draft when it comes to Tuotango Vailoa in 2020. But I I just go back to the fact that taking any quarterback in the top 10, in the first round, in the top five, whatever you want to qualify it with, taking any quarterback is a huge roll of the dice, and maybe it's ticked up a little bit by the fact that that Tua's coming off of that injury, but but guys have come off of injuries before. You don't have to think that far back to a guy like Carson Wentz, who went through the wrist injury that cost him most of his final year at North Dakota State, and I know he came back in the FCS National Championship and played pretty well, but he was another guy that was coming off an injury, and, and maybe it's apples to oranges when you're comparing his injury to a hip injury, and Tua's Got a little bit of the history with the ankles as well. Those are all things that we knew coming in already. And so, if you're that hesitant, if you're that worried about it, then you should probably pass on him when your draft pick comes up. But sure, it's a gamble. I don't know if it's the biggest gamble in the history of the NFL, but heck, drafting some of these quarterbacks with minimal starting experience is a pretty big gamble. Some of these contracts handed out without guys really having gone on and proven it for a long time is our gambles when it comes down to it. I, I just think. The, the two is a gamble for sure, but but so is drafting a Justin Herbert who broke his collarbone a couple of years ago I, I, at Oregon. And, and some of these guys, right, and that's not to detract, but anytime you're taking a, really any prospect th-
0: this early, but a, a quarterback and you're looking to make him your franchise, that's a gamble in itself. Is it a bigger gamble than choosing Jamarcus Russell? Is it a bigger gamble uh, than trading all of your draft picks to get Ricky Williams like Mike Ditka did uh, when he was in New Orleans? Like. Uh, I don't know if it's the biggest gamble in the history of the NFL, but anytime there's uncertainty about the physical capabilities of a player coming off of an injury, yeah, it's a roll of the dice. Uh, But I think what's interesting about this is the gamble is almost exclusively about the injury. It doesn't sound, when you talk to any of the experts, and uh, we are not going to try to project ourselves as draft analysts and experts of any degree, but when you hear all of them almost across the board, say, hey, look, there's very little to question about his ability when healthy. It leads you to believe that it is purely the health that leads a Rex Ryan to describe this uh, potential top five draft pick as the biggest gamble in the history of the NFL. And so you know, there are gambles made all the time, whether it's through the draft, whether it's via transactions. Uh, I mean, Dan Orlovsky argued that the contracts given to Jimmy Garoppolo or Ryan Tannehill could be regarded as bigger gambles. And I think when you're talking about the money spent, that's a pretty solid point for sure. What can lessen that gamble is if you're a team drafting tool with the knowledge that you are going to be giving him some time to, to further recover even if he's saying he's 100% even if he's saying he's ready to take full practice snaps or uh you know full speed bullets coming at him you know if you are a team like the dolphins and you already have Ryan Fitzpatrick as a guy that you can rely on as a starter here in what would be Tua Tagovailoa's rookie season with the projection being all right Tua your time will come after that then i think that lessens the gamble to a degree does it not
1: I think so, because you buy yourself a little bit of time. You allow Tua all the time he needs to get a little healthy. And I will say it's a gamble. It's a roll of the dice, no doubt about it. And I think there is an argument to be made if you're a head coach or a general manager trying to convince your bosses that, hey, this is a worthwhile gamble, but also giving yourself a little bit of an out. right? If if things don't work out because Tua and his body fails him, You know, we took a leap of faith. It didn't work out, but don't hold that against us. It just didn't work. It wasn't in the cards. We'll try our hand at the next quarterback as opposed to regime just getting booted because they whiffed on a pick.
0: All right. Time to get to our main story discussion here. Bubble ball. What do I mean by that? Well, Major League Baseball, for instance, considering a biosphere or bubble like option. Basically, they would hold games in a contained area in Arizona. They would hold all of the players and and whatever essential personnel associated with those games and competitions. They would have them basically sealed off from the rest of the known population. Uh, What do you think about this idea of Major League Baseball basically pulling a Simpsons movie? Well, I will say, boy, there there
1: are quite a few hurdles, right? It sounds like for them to even pull this off, but I do love that there's maybe a chance there's maybe a glimmer of hope that this could be pulled off, right? Korea's trying it uh, with the KBO, and, and look, South Korea has been a little more successful in, in flattening the curve, as as the term has been, uh, than maybe here in the United States. But if you find a pocket, like say in Arizona or or somewhere somewhere else, with a an abundance of fields where they can go ahead and play a little bit of a season, yeah, I'm all for it. I, you know, I I do think logistically, realistically. It's going to be a lot of hoops for them to jump through. But if they can figure it out, I love that they're at least trying. They're at least putting together some ideas to maybe make this happen that does give some folks some hope, does give sports fans, does give baseball fans a little bit of a hope. It would be weird. It'll be eerie if they're in empty baseball stadiums. It will be strange when they're all playing in the same place and if it's seven-inning doubleheaders or whatever it is. But it would be baseball, you know, if if you've got to be in a – quarantine bubble and drop the glass dome on it like you said in the Simpsons movie (laughs) maybe that's what it's going to be and and that that requires a lot of concessions right on a lot of people's parts the teams the the players the the coaching staffs the support personnel everybody the bus drivers whatever it is Uh, you know are the are the families coming into the dome are they staying outside of the dome Uh, how's that going to work I don't know but it sounds like players are interested Nolan Arenado said he's interested if they can make it happen uh and I think A lot of people would love to go back to playing baseball, even though, even if it doesn't really resemble what we're used to. It is a worthwhile idea to kick around, even though it's going to bring with it a ton of logistical nightmares. But if they can pull it off, man, kudos to them. Uh, And at the very least, it's providing baseball players, baseball fans, everybody associated with it. A little bit of hope here that that maybe it can get pulled off. and, And we're probably going to be looking to Korea to see if they can get it done.
0: Yeah, what I find interesting is, as you alluded to, the majority of players reactions that I've seen seem to be on board with this idea as radical and extreme as it tends to sound. It's just it's so weird to even be talking about this kind of stuff. The TV money is the most important thing here, right? That's the biggest chunk of the revenue pie for all of these professional sports and even collegiate sports. And so if they have to play with no fans and they can still get these games televised and they can still cash in on some of that contract money and TV can still cash in on the sponsorship and advertising money, that makes a lot of people happy. And that creates a lot of financial relief for these professional entities. And
1: that's that's what it comes down to, right, in a lot of ways that, hey, there is a lot of incentive to try and get the season in, to try and get some games in. Outside of just the, the feel good nature of it, I mean, it, it's a business, and, and folks are are looking to keep that business going, and and folks rely on that. I mean, even some of the the players, right? The, not everybody has signed the Bryce Harper contract. Uh, when it comes to Major League Baseball, there are a lot of guys playing on salaries that are just mere fractions of what some of the big names are getting, and so there there's a lot of incentive, as there is in a lot of arenas in the greater marketplace in the economy, as we try and work our way through this. Of course, professional sports leagues have a few more resources to try and get something done to get back to work, if you will. Uh, But that's all going to factor in. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And and so it will be, I think, a delicate balance for these leagues to strike. Obviously, when it comes to balancing uh, the desire to get back out there with player and public safety, as well as navigating the public relations, if you will, aspect. Uh, There are a lot of fans, there are a lot of folks clamoring for this For a return to sports, but at what cost?
0: Yeah, because the optics of the required rampant testing that's going to have to take place, right? The optics of that being so readily available for these players and for these teams when there are all these members of the greater population that are struggling to get tested or are going through delays in getting test results. The optics of that have to improve, I think, or else that can be a public relations challenge for Major League Baseball or whichever organization we're talking about here in trying to carry out these ideas. Remember, the NBA tossed this around as well, maybe utilizing a place like Las Vegas because of the facilities available, trying to continue its season. It begs the question from the NBA standpoint, if they are able to execute a plan that allows them to once again start up play, even if it's later in the summer, even if it starts to threaten or infringe upon the upcoming season schedule. How important do you think it is for the NBA to finish out this season? LeBron James said in a recent interview that he feels like uh, that there wouldn't be any closure if they aren't able to finish out this past season. Remember, they played about 60 games worth. Do you see the NBA deciding, hey, look, let's just shut it down and start a new next year? Or do you think it's important for the NBA, even if it goes deeper into the year, that they got to finish this thing out? I, I think for
1: them, it, it makes a lot of sense to try and make it work. Right, Push it back as as far as they can. If they can figure out some way to make a postseason happen, uh, I think that would be great. And I get it. It will be a different scale. It will be different because you didn't play the whole season now and things like that. But the unfinished business of the Bucks, of Giannis, of LeBron and the Lakers, of the Clippers, figure out some way to, to crown a champion. I think that would be terrific. And of course, the NBA, I think, has a little bit of a wiggle room, right? When you when you throw in the Atlanta Hawks owner and, and his idea, which is in an, not his original idea, but Hey, even pushing the NBA season back from its current setup, right? Starting a little closer to Christmas, ending a little later into the summer, owning more of the summer as we lead into the fall in football season. I think there are opportunities for the NBA to spin this in their favor when it comes to scheduling precisely. And and so I I think there is a bit of wiggle room. And I I think if they can figure out a way to get a postseason going, I think that would satisfy a lot of people, both in the league and fans outside as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to finish it. 60 games is a lot of games. That's a lot of time to play. That's a lot of mileage on the body for uh, especially veteran players like a LeBron James to say, all right, well, let's just run it back again. And you have some of your higher profile players becoming free agents here in this upcoming offseason, whenever that may be. I guess we're done. And so Anthony Davis, you're a free agent now. And whoever else was scheduled to be a free agent, there you go. And it just, to me, would create a little too much of a uh, sort of fractured sense of things. I would like to see the NBA season finish out, even if it means an abridged version of the upcoming year. Uh, I feel like the fans need that. I feel like the players could use that. Uh, As Drew Brees mentioned, man, the American people need sports right now. Uh, And while that isn't necessarily going to be the case here, uh, as soon as possible would be fantastic for sure.
1: Yeah, I am I'm, I'm with you there. And I think especially when it comes to the NBA, right? As much as we love baseball, as much as Major League Baseball uh is big regionally, the NBA is is the conversation piece. And I think it also represented sort of the, the screeching halt of the sports world with with the way that the NBA shut down and and with the fact that it was one of their players who who kind of became the face of of the epidemic or the pandemic in a lot of ways with, with Rudy Gobert, not to his fault or anything like that, but it was it was sort of the NBA who shut the door on basically everybody. Everybody followed suit right after that. And so if the NBA were, for, were able to find a way back, I think they could also kind of lead the way back in.
0: All right. Well, let's get to uh, a little bit of the latter stage of our show. Best and worst, as we like to end things with, what's your best and what's your worst here uh, for this particular episode of the pod, Jordan?
1: Yeah, I'll kind of go all over the place with this one. Uh, my best of the podcast so far, uh, I'll, I'll dabble a little bit out of sports, but uh, he's become kind of a sensation here in the islands, uh, is the mayor of Kauai, Derek Kawakami. His Instagram page, I don't know if you've seen this, but he's got like TikTok videos. He's, he's doing uh, like a baking show. He did one where uh, he... He also uh, made ice cream or something like that. But uh, he has taken it upon himself to inject a little bit of uh, levity into the situation. He is also uh, kind of taking the lead on some of the other things when it's come to actually doing his job as as head administrator there over on Kauai. But uh, I I appreciate a public figure who is willing to put himself out there uh, and really poke fun at himself. Uh, and that's kind of what he's doing here because he's a terrible dancer on these TikTok videos. Uh, he has brought some humor at his own expense to, to the folks of Kauai over there. He's also posted on his Instagram page some very helpful things, uh, how to make a homemade mask, how to make sustainable uh, sanitary wipes and things like that. But uh, I've enjoyed Marikawa uh, who is not neglecting his duties in any way, but uh, in a little bit of the downtime while staying at home has uh, brought, a little, brought a little sunshine, I think, to some folks, uh, which I, I found pretty cool.
0: Yeah, he did a magic card trick. In one of his posts, he did a card trick too. That's right. It was it was it was fantastic. It was uh, it was wonderful. He did it like to the camera, to the audience, if you will. Uh, and it was really cool. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That's uh, That's been one of the brighter spots here of the quarantine in recent weeks. My best is the SNY broadcast of simulated Mets games on the video game known as MLB The Show. That's right. They're broadcasting simulated Mets games. They're doing like basically an entire season. You have Gary Cohen, Keith Hernandez, Ron Darling on the call. The Mets got off to a 2-7 and seven start, by the way. So even in the video game world, my Mets still stink. Uh, They also opened a series against the Astros and nobody threw at the Houston batters, which was very disappointing. Uh, By the way, it's only a matter of time until virtual Noah Syndergaard experiences virtual arm soreness. But that's neither here nor there. What an idea. They're actually calling with a real broadcast team, video game baseball. Uh, We were just sort of lamenting. The idea of NBA players playing NBA 2K20 in a tournament broadcast on ESPN. But this is kind of different. They're treating it as if it's a real game, which is just kind of funny. And I haven't really given up on the joke yet. Maybe it's because I'm a Mets fan, uh, but it, uh, it strikes me as, as pretty awesome. So are they like questioning managers' decisions and things like that? <laughs> they are. They're questioning why they would still keep pitchers in in certain situations. It's great.
1: <laughs> that is that is funny um, and uh, my apologies as, as apparently the Mets not their year even in the virtual world
0: <laughs> yeah, the virtual world real world uh, it's all frustrating all right uh, your worst what is it
1: yeah'll uh, I'll go international for this one um, US Justice Department's investigation into FIFA and its broad corruption but the recently released documents uh, link former Fox executives, uh, with basically getting inside information to, to win the bid when it came to winning the United States rights uh, to airing the World Cups. And, and we'll find out a bit more about that. We don't know exactly how much it really ties them to, to 21st Century Fox or anything like that. The, the worst part about it is the level of surprise was like zero. Nobody was surprised at all. Like that's the, the reputation that anything to do with FIFA has. Uh, everybody was like, oh, yeah, more corruption. Well, no surprise there. So that was the worst thing I saw. I was like, this is kind of groundbreaking stuff, especially if we're going to talk about one of the big television broadcasters when it comes to sports out there. uh, would be pretty big news. But everybody's like, eh, another day. Another day with FIFA. Just another chapter in the corruption scandal. What's next? I was like, "Geez, nobody, nobody seemed to care.
0: You know, I got to be honest. I actually appreciate it because at a time like this where we're experiencing something as novel as this pandemic i can take a certain level of comfort in the fact that some things are still the same right we're all yearning for a sense of normalcy and how comforting is it that fifa is still corrupt john jones is still getting dwis like that's a sign of life as we know it so you know i i take those things as uh, bits of comfort yeah it's uh, <laughs> it's a nice normalcy to it yeah Just wait another six months. There'll be another indictment. (laughs) That's right. Some things never change. That's right. Uh, Okay. My worst is this upcoming ESPN horse game. Trey Young, Zach Levine, interestingly enough, Chris Paul being another one. Among the players and and individuals who are going to be included in this thing, I think they're actually including players outside of the NBA as well. Female players are going to be in the mix also. And I totally understand the idea, the concept to a degree. Uh, But I just don't know if it sounds like it's something that's going to come off all that well. Like, What's next? Are we going to have driveway dunk contest, swimming pool, diving competitions? Are we going to have a backyard home run derby? Am I totally off base? Because are these all actually really good ideas, Jordan?
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know what's <laughs> bad about the, the the diving contest or the home run derby. Is that like wiffle
0: ball style? <laughs> Gotta be. Um, can Zach Levine dunk in the game of horse? No, Trey Young said on Twitter that Zach Levine's not allowed to do that. Ah, uh,
1: because I was going to say that might be just a deal breaker, right? If, if Zach Levine's like jumping, jumping through hoops and, and, Three sixteen between the legs that might be a little hard to replicate i just could just chalk me up for the h if that's the case
0: but i don't know i don't know if anybody's uh set in stone the rule that you can't adjust the height of your driveway or backyard basket Ooh, so i mean maybe maybe yeah. that's a, a loophole you know what i mean
1: that's that'd be a good loophole plus and i'm, I'm gonna bag on my guy because he's a bulls standout in zach levine trey young could also say like yeah i'm just gonna back up 40 feet and rain in jumpers and, and zach levine can't do that so You know, there's a trade off.
0: Yeah. Well, in typical Kanoa fashion, my worst is something that probably will end up being one of the best things on TV that we've ever seen, or at least that we'll see here during the quarantine. That's just misfiring as always, potentially. Uh, That's uh, my role in all of this. Uh, All right, Jordan, it's been a lot of fun. Appreciate it, man. We'll do it again here soon. Uh, Thanks to all of you for listening and supporting the podcast here through the first few episodes. Again, hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy or at Jordan Helley uh, for some thoughts and ideas and questions if you have them. Aloha.